Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Good morning. Uh, If you take out your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Psalm 13 today. Psalm 13, while you're doing that, uh, it's just uh, a real blessing to be here this morning on a couple of, on a couple of fronts. Uh, first of all, I know I don't need to tell you this, but you have an amazing pastor here at Calvary Aurora, uh, and uh, he, he not only pastors you, uh, he pastors a lot of pastors across the country, and I happen to be one of those that are blessed to call Pastor Ed my pastor, so this is a real treat and blessing for me. Um, but also, I grew up here. I grew up uh, out, on the, out on the west side, out by Golden in Applewood. I uh, went to high school here uh, about 25 years ago, though. I, the Lord moved me on from here and have moved around. Uh, spent the last 20 years in Phoenix, uh, the last 10 of which I pastored a church there. And the Lord, within the last year, has called us to southwest Houston to plant a church down there. So just really blessed blessed with all of that, but uh, truly blessed to be here this morning. So we're going to be in Psalm 13 today. If you would follow along with me, six verses. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Lord, we thank you for your living word. We thank you for the fact that this was not just written thousands of years ago from the heart of one who was seeking your heart continually, but Lord, it is for us today. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, minister to us in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we see as this, this chapter, this psalm that is penned by David, as we see right away at the, in the introduction, a psalm of David, it breaks up neatly. There's six verses. It breaks up neatly into a nice little outline, and verses one and two deal with feelings. And we see that David asks a series of four questions, and the questions begin all the same with this phrase, how long? So, We don't know what David was going through at the time in particular. We don't know when in David's life even that this took place. We don't know the circumstances around it, but we can just by looking at it and reading it, you can feel his feelings, can't you? How long? This, this isn't something short or brief that he's going through. This wasn't just something that happened one afternoon and he was just kind of wrestling with. No, this is obviously something that has been going on, that he's been facing, that he's been fighting for a while. And he's crying out in desperation 
using this term how long as he goes through this. Now, I don't want to single anybody out, so I'm going to throw this blanket out there as opposed to how many of you can relate to David either right now or at another time in your life? How many of you can say, I have felt that before, or I'm feeling those things right now? How long, God? Well, it's important that we understand that those are feelings, because we have to identify that first, because feelings are something that we all experience, that we all go through, but feelings can be dangerous. Feelings become dangerous when they start dictating our attitude and our response to the things that are happening around us. Have you ever had somebody tell you when you're in a particular feeling that you shouldn't feel that way? What's your immediate response? Tell me how to feel. Well, that's the danger of feelings. It's because we immediately defend our right to feel certain ways. And feelings can be extremely misleading because they play on our emotions. They're fed from our emotions, and our emotions can drive our responses if we are not careful. Now, I mentioned David, David lays out four questions here, and by the show of hands, we, we've, we've, we've been there or we're there right now, most of us. We're in good company with David, but we have to address this. We have to look at this because when we, we'll look, we're gonna look at all four questions eventually, but let's look at the first one today in verse two. Let's look first there. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? Well, the Bible is clear that when we are facing situations, when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through trials, when we have a decision that we need to make, that we should seek godly counsel. We should go to other godly men and godly women and share with them and have them pray with us and seek counsel from them. Again, I mentioned earlier, Pastor Ed has been one of those men in my life that I reach out to regularly when I need godly counsel. But notice that's not what David says here. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul. You see, David is doing and expressing here something again, no doubt most of us have done from time to time or maybe even more often than that, where we find that we are seeking counsel, but we're seeking counsel from the only three individuals that will fully agree with us, and that is me, myself, and I. No one else is gonna fully understand or agree with me, so I'm not even gonna bother them I'm just gonna take counsel within myself. And notice David says, because of that, I'm having sorrow in my heart all the day. See, because again, when we're dealing with the, the emotions and the feelings, the four of us, my, me, myself, and I, and I guess I, <laughs> We, can, we all get into that little, I don't, let's call it, a, let's be honest, a pity party. Feeling sorry for ourselves, counsel within ourselves, and it just continues to bring us down. If we look at this, even David is being straight up and honest. That word that's used there for counsel, the root of that word in the Hebrew means to argue and to quarrel. 
It's only used two times in the Old Testament. The other time also was by David in Psalm 106, 43, when it says, many times he, God, would deliver them. However, they were rebellious in their counsel and so sank down in their iniquity. God was wanting to deliver the children of Israel, yet they just kept taking counsel within themselves. The Jerusalem Bible translates our verse here, verse two in, in Psalm 13, how long must I nurse rebellion in my soul? See, when we're facing situations and our response is, again, emotionally, In our feelings, we're saying, I have to figure a way out of this. I have to deal with this. And again, because only I know the depth of the situation and all of the details around it, only I can come up with the plan. And that's the problem. David recognized it. David says, how long am I going to do this? And from the outside looking in, the response is simple. Well, just stop it. But how hard is that? How difficult is that when we are in that situation? I mean, he's honest with it, and when we're honest with ourselves, it does bring us sorrow. It brings us deeper into more frustration and anxiety. And again, if we're just gonna, we're looking at it from the outside, we say, well, why in the world would we wanna stay there? But how often do we insist on staying in that place? Well, we move from the place of feelings, and ultimately the Bible tells us that we are not to walk by feelings, right? We are to, be, we are to walk by faith. Well, verses five and six, when we get there, deal with faith. But David brings us to a very important point in the next two verses that is a stepping stone to get from feelings to faith, and that deals with our focus. Notice in verses three and four, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. David is dealing with a very real enemy, and we don't know what that enemy is. We don't know who or what it is. He's dealing with this enemy, but the enemy, our real enemy, the enemy of our souls is taking advantage of that and speaking things to him and whispering things to him and constantly bringing those lies as he does with you and I. And David is saying the, the way that we need to combat this, he, he brings this prayer to God. Notice first he says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. That word consider, a great word. It means more than just, hey God, I'm over here, take a look. No, he's saying, Lord, look deeply into my situation. Understand it and scrutinize my situation. Understand it fully. It's not just a casual glance. The great promise, though, that we know from the Bible, the Word of God, God's Word to us, revealing to us over and over again, is that that's not something we need to ask for, even, that we need to beg for, because he continually has his eyes on us. You know, something that is an amazing truth about our God is he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is infinite in his understanding and his power, and you and I as human beings can't understand this whole concept of infinity. But let me tell you exactly what it means to us. God's 
undivided attention is given to us when we come to him and we seek him. But that's a problem when you consider my undivided attention. If my undivided attention is focused on something and somebody wants to get my attention, I have nothing left to give them. But sir, if you ask God for something, the Bible tells us he gives you your, his undivided attention. While he is doing that, if you need to talk to him, how much is left for you? His undivided attention. That's what it means. That's what this infinite attention, this infinite power, this infinite love, this infinite focus means to you and I. So David is crying out, God, give me your full undivided attention. And the great thing is we don't have to get in line. We don't have to leave a message. He's there, always. David, the, the, the author of Psalm 13, also wrote Psalm 139. Flip over there with me real quickly. A few pages to the right. Psalm 139. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Guys, that means he knows every detail. Nothing escapes his attention. When you sat down, he saw that. When you stood up earlier, he saw that. He notices everything. You understand my thought from afar. Verse three, you scrutinize my path my, and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Guys, don't try to figure it out. Just embrace the glory of it. His undivided attention is always on you. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you're going through. So back to our text in verse three, consider me. Well, he is, he does consider, but notice he boldly says, and answer me, O Lord my God. He's crying out in a prayer, God, hear my prayer, see my situation, and answer me. Now, the Bible tells us that we are to bring our petitions to God, that we are to, that we are to bring our prayers, our, emo, our emotional things, what we're dealing with, we're to bring them to God. That's a commandment to us. But again, how many of us pray along these lines? God, me, myself, and I have been talking for quite a while, and we have come up with a solution to this problem. And I need you to sign off on it. But because you're all-knowing and all-powerful God, and we realize that, you know, I'm, since I'm not, we're going to give you three options and let you choose whichever one you want. Okay, be honest, do you ever pray like that? <laughs> Can I just tell you it's okay to do that? To give God A, B, or C? As long as you put a D in there that says none of the above. God wants to know, and by the way, he already knows. We're kidding him if we think that he doesn't already know what we're thinking and what we're planning and what we're doing, but we have to embrace this, that God, you know way more than we do. So we need to give him that option. Lord, none of the above is a perfectly good option for you. But notice here, and this is where I wanna focus in on, I guess no pun intended, the next part, enlighten my eyes. Enlighten 
my eyes. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. David is praying that God would enlighten his eyes. In Ephesians chapter 1, after Paul has this amazing introduction as to how great and awesome God is and his love toward us, and then he's even talking about the great faith of this church in Ephesus. It tells us in verse 18 that Paul is praying for the church what David was praying for himself. Notice it says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Again, David is praying for this enlightenment himself. Paul praying that the church, the the followers of Jesus would experience this enlightenment. The Hebrew word that David uses means to dawn or to illuminate. The Greek word that Paul uses here means to give light to. And in, in context, when we go back to Psalm 13, David is saying, enlighten my eyes, Lord, or the enemy is casting shadows all over. His lies, his deceptions are all around, and these shadows enlighten my eyes so I can see. As I mentioned, I grew up here in Colorado, and uh, we had a cabin up in the mountains, and I spent a a lot of years growing up in my youth hunting and fishing in the mountains, and I do have to say, I miss that a lot. But on several occasions, elk hunting, opening morning, I've scouted out all summer long the best spot and I get there super early in the morning and it's cold and I get there and I sit down a couple hours before daylight and I look up in front of me and there's an elk like 50 yards in front of me. But it's still way too early. I mean, I can't shoot yet. It's still two hours before. So I sit there and I don't move and it's freezing, and I'm just sitting there shivering, 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 and I'm just watching that elk, and as soon as the sun comes up, I see a stump (laughs) right there in front of me. For two hours, I swore that was an elk, and all it is is a stump because my eyes were enlightened. I'm no longer deceived. You ever walk into a room and you see a shadow in the corner and you know that that's an axe murderer over there and all you do is turn on the light and all of a sudden it's just a little, you know, the coat rack or whatever, just me? That was just an illustration, it never happened. David is saying this thing here, God enlightened my eyes because the enemy is trying to convince me of something different. The enemy is lying, deceiving, but for whatever reason, I, am, I, I feel drawn to believe that lie. So God, enlighten my eyes. Let me see from your perspective. And that was Paul's prayer for the church. Again, back in Ephesians chapter 1. I know that you are all great Bible students at Calvary Aurora. One of the things that I always encourage is 
these little statements that are throughout the word, they're very powerful and very important. And one that I underline all the time when I see it is the words, so that. Because that brings reason or purpose to what is being stated. And, and Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened so that, and notice what he says, that you will know, that you will know. He says three things that we will know, but first let's stop there for a moment. That word know means to know intuitively. It's the Greek word oida, O-I-D-A, different from gnosko, epigonosko, the other Greek words for know. This means to know something intuitively through divine revelation, through heavenly enlightenment, where all of a sudden that light bulb comes on that we, we now understand something. And that is what Paul is saying here, that you would know with absolute certainty. And you notice he highlights three things, the hope of his calling, the glory of his inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of his power. First, the hope of his calling. That word calling speaks very personally to the one called. It can actually even literally mean to call by name, to summon personally. And as born again believers, that is what's happened to us. We have been summoned, we have been called personally by the Lord Jesus. And the hope of this calling is, it goes beyond what the world speaks of as hope. No, when we speak of biblical hope, we speak of absolute assurance. And what is the assurance that we have because we have been called? Well, we are assured that there is a purpose for the calling. The Bible tells us what that purpose is, our glorification. We will be glorified one day, but the Bible speaks of it as a past tense event in Romans chapter eight. It's such a done deal for you and I in God's book. He speaks of it in the past tense that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose. The process that we go through is the all things that Romans 8 talks about, that God uses to, for good for you and I, all things. But there's an incredible promise in the calling that he who began a good work in us will complete it. Will complete it. That is a promise in God's word for you and I. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that this hope does not disappoint. Secondly, Paul says that we would know the glory of his inheritance, the inheritance that is ours as children of God. And the, the hope doesn't disappoint. The great part about the inheritance is it doesn't disappear. It is reserved in heaven for you and I. It does not, it is imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away. But thirdly, that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power. I've already touched on the fact his power is infinite. There is, there is no diluting in the power. Even when, as, as Paul says here in, in Ephesians chapter one, the amazing thing is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in each one of us, is focused towards you and I. And that power isn't diluted. When that power was focused and Jesus raised from the dead, there wasn't a power surge in heaven. It's infinite. Turn, turn with me here, we're in Ephesians chapter one. Just flip over to chapter two, verse 20. 
Paul, again, speaking of this power, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power, that power we've been talking about, that works within us. When I read verse 20, that really challenges me because I can think a lot. I can imagine a lot. I can ask a lot. But Paul is telling us that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or think. So I'm challenged by this to not, to not limit God by my puny comprehension, my limited creativity, my minute capability. You see, God works in a spectrum completely outside what you and I can even comprehend. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us that his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts above ours. I'm drawn to, and again, coming back to what David is dealing with. He's dealing with something in his life, something powerful, something that he doesn't understand. He's crying out, God, how long is this going on? But enlighten my eyes. Let me see from a different perspective. Let me see from yours. And when I think about that, I can't help but think about Joseph. The things that Joseph went through. And we all know the story, right? And just to paraphrase it very quickly, Joseph had a dream and, and God gave him these amazing words in this dream, this promise that he was one day going to be the ruler. And he shared that dream with his brothers and his brothers didn't take too kindly f- to that. His brothers hated him for that and many other things. And his brothers betrayed him, sold him into s- slavery, into Egypt. These sl- greedy slave traders took advantage of that and took him to Egypt, sold him to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce David or Joseph many times. He refused. Eventually, she accused him of trying to rape her. He gets thrown in jail. He meets the, the baker and the wine taster while he's in jail for years, interprets their dreams. He says, hey, when these come true, don't forget about me. Guess what? They came true. They forgot about him. He's left there. But we know ultimately that God raises him up and he ends up being second in command in all of Egypt. When we read... In Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19, it says this, he, that being God, sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Sold into slavery by his brothers, betrayed, bought in the greed of these slave traders, the the lies of Potiphar, the being forgotten and abandoned in prison. Who sent Joseph to Egypt? His brothers? His slave the slave traders? No, the Bible is clear, God did. God used the jealousy of his brothers. God used the, the greed of the slave traders. God used the lies of Potiphar's wife. God used the forgetfulness of these people that he helped out. God used all of those things to make Joseph the man that he was that God used. And again in Psalm 105 it says, until the time that his word came to pass. Whose word? God's word. God's word 
through Joseph. The word that tested him. Back in Psalm 13, if you just glance up to the previous chapter, Psalm 12, it says the words of the Lord are pure words. He goes on to illustrate as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. He's using that as an illustration to speak of absolute purity. You, O Lord, will keep them. How many times do you think that along the way Joseph wondered, that he doubted, that perhaps he even prayed, God, how long? Have you forgotten me? How long am I gonna have to try to figure this out? Trying to even manipulate certain things like, hey, dude, when this dream comes true, don't forget about me. But God wasn't done with Joseph in the prison yet. God was still refining Joseph until God was ready and Joseph was ready. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see, when the pure word of God meets a heart that's been purified by God, we see God. We see God in nature. We see God in one another. We see God in our circumstances when our eyes have been enlightened. When Joseph, Joseph's eyes were enlightened, he was able to say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. David was praying for a change of focus. Paul was praying for the, the Ephesian believers for a change of focus, having their eyes enlightened. And can I tell you, when our focus is changed, our prayer will change. Instead of again, how long? When are you gonna change this? When are you gonna get this taken care of, God? Our prayer will change. Can I challenge you, if you are in that today, to change your prayer? God dealt with me on this many years ago and challenged me through another pastor to change my prayer, to change my prayer from God, change the path in front of me to Lord, change my feet so that I can walk the path that you've put before me. Can I challenge you in that today if you're there? Because when you pray that way, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna be straight up with you, the path will get harder. But you will overcome it. God will be with you every step of the way as you walk by faith and follow after him. You see, we can see this transition happening with David, even in the Psalm right before us. He starts with, God, how long? But notice verses five and six, but, but. By the way, just real quick stop. That's another word you should circle almost every time you see it. It's a small word, but it's a powerful word. How many of you remember I'm dating myself? Schoolhouse rock. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hey, right on. <laughs> Hooking up words and phrases and clauses, it's important. And the word but 
is a powerful word because what does it do? It basically cancels everything that preceded it. It's happened to me many times, and I know their heart's right, but people will come up to me after the service and say, oh, Pastor Brett, that was a great message. It really spoke to me, but <laughs> this is why I came, really. <laughs> I have something else I need to say. <laughs> but... Notice he says, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Because I trusted in your loving kindness, that's how I've lived, that's how I've come to this moment. I can recognize the allies of the enemy. Lord, enlighten my eyes right now so that I can see. I can see you working in this moment. I can see you transforming. I can see you doing something right now so that I will rejoice in my salvation. I will rejoice on the other side. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That word bountifully there is an amazing word. It means to supply all you need in abundance, to basically give you more than you need. David recognizes that, and we as children of God, we celebrated communion earlier. That's what we thank him for. God, you have delivered us and given us more than we need. David shifts his focus away from the enemy and his flesh and his feelings and puts his focus where it needs to be, and that's on God. See guys, who God is and what he has done for us demands a response from us. We can't just come to these moments and just leave unchanged. It demands a response from us. 2 Corinthians 1.20, speaking of the promises of God, Paul writes, for as many as are the promises of God in him, that is Jesus, they are yes. Therefore, because of that, also through him, through Jesus, is our amen to the glory of God through us. What Paul is saying is that every promise that God makes, and the Bible is full of them, are yes, and emphatically yes, in Christ. But he goes on to say, and basically ask the question, should our response to that be any less emphatic? And when he says our amen is in Christ Jesus, it's not just a word. Amen is a powerful word. Let it be so, amen, right on, in agreement with. But Paul isn't talking about a word, he's talking about a response, and it's a faith response. All of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. Faith is when I say, I take that promise for me. That's what David is doing in the last two verses here, and that's what we are called to do. We are to respond in absolute faith. When we're faced with things that we don't understand and we don't know what to do, we need to reach out in faith and say, God, I don't understand this, but I understand this about you. You are God, you are sovereign, you are almighty, you are holy, you love me. So I'm gonna hold on to that. I said that we were gonna look at the questions at the beginning in verses one and two, and we're gonna do that really quickly because the answers after we look at the rest of the chapter are very simple. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? 
He's listening to the lie of the enemy. When you pray that way, we are looking at the shadow. We're looking at the stump. We're not seeing the truth of the fact that God says, I can't forget about you. I could never forget about you. Willie Nelson wrote a song a long time ago. Remember that? You are always on my mind. Well, Willie Nelson's a liar. Because that's not true. Nobody can have somebody on their mind all the time. I love my wife. And I wish I could tell you she's always on my mind, but she's not. I just, I can't, I don't have that infinite focus. God does. You and your situation personally are always on his mind. Isaiah 49, 14 to 16, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Isaiah uses this illustration under in, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, can, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. It's a lie of the enemy that says God has forgotten you, that God has abandoned you, that God has forsaken you. Jesus, a promise from his own lips, said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God's promises are true when they are spoken, not when we realize them. And faith makes that promise mine. Faith makes that promise yours. So how long? He hasn't. It's a lie. Secondly, how long will you hide your face from me? That means how long will you, will you keep your back turned to me? It indicates anger or indifference. Again, another lie from the enemy. If you are here today and you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath was poured out on him. God's not angry with you. There's no wrath for you. If you are being disciplined by God, again, it is because of his lo great love for you. Hebrews 12 lays that out very clearly. The end result is that we will share in his holiness, yielding peaceful fruits of righteousness, as Hebrews 12 tells us. Jeremiah 29, 11 and following, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God's saying, I haven't turned away from you. I'm right here. Just, just cry out to me. Just reach out to me with all of your heart. I'm right here. And lastly, he asks, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Here's the simple answer. As long as you let him. As long as you allow the enemy to be exalted over you, he will be. So let me ask, what's your enemy? What's your enemy today? What are you dealing with today? Is it fear? How long will fear be exalted over you? As long as you let it. Because the Bible has a promise that we've been given not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. How long? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it, is it a situation that you're facing right now? How long will that be exalted over you? As long as you let it. It can stop today. It can stop right now if you embrace by faith the promises of God for you.
The Bible says that we have been given all things to life and godliness. Everything that you need, you already have. It's just a matter of embracing it and accepting it by faith. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ. The Bible tells us that no temptation has overtaken us except what is common to man, but by faith, we can make, th- make it through every trial, every temptation. The Bible promises that we are a child of God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to his lordship of your life, the biggest enemy you face is death because we are all sinners. You are a sinner and you are in a room full of sinners. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And the only difference, if you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, the only difference between your sin and mine is that mine's been washed in the blood of Jesus. That he has taken my sin and I in faith have received his righteousness. The truth of the matter is he's taken your sin too but you have to receive it in faith. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is a response in faith for you too. You might be crying out, how long, O Lord, will I struggle with this? How long, O Lord, will I be separated from you? Again, the answer is as long as you choose to because today you can change that. If you receive in faith the free gift of salvation that Jesus paid for you personally on the cross today, you too can have everlasting life and no longer fear death. We're going to close right now in prayer and the worship team's going to come back up. And I just want to invite you today, if you're, if you're struggling with that, if, if the Lord is even revealing in your heart that enemy that you're struggling with, that you're fighting with, I encourage you by faith today, to no longer follow after your feelings. Allow the Lord to enlighten the eyes of your heart and you receive in faith the power to defeat your enemy today. I'm I'm gonna invite you that while while we're singing this last song to to come forward, there'll be pastors and prayer team up here. We'd love to pray with you. I will tell you that there's nothing magical about coming forward. We don't manipulate God to move by coming forward. But I do think that there's something that happens in us personally. I know I've experienced it in my own life. When I take that step of faith, when I step forward, I'm saying I'm serious about this and I wanna deal with it right now and there's power in prayer when we pray together. So I wanna encourage you to come, come forward. If you've never given your life to Jesus, don't leave here today hardening your heart. Don't think that, you know what, I'll do this next time because you don't know if there'll be a next time. I wanna encourage you to come forward too. And you might be saying, man, there's no way I would do that. I'm too scared to do that. I could never do that alone. Ask the person next to you to come up with you. I know that they would be glad to come up with you. Don't, Don't let fear stop you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the promise that is throughout your word. Even now as, we, as we've looked at this short little psalm of David, Lord, we can, we can all find ourselves relating at one point or another. Lord, would you do a work right now even here among us? 
as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, Lord, we cry out in prayer right now to you. Would you enlighten our eyes? Would you open up the eyes of our heart? Would you, would you dilate the pupils of our heart, Lord, to allow the light to come in so that we can see clearly the, the lies and the deception of the enemy? Lord, we don't want to be stuck in this place anymore. The anxiety, the frustration. Lord, we, want, we desire freedom, we desire victory, and Lord, you paid for that victory on the cross. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors in you. Would you do a work in our hearts today? If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you right now to open your heart to him. It's not a magic formula. Confessing your sins simply means that you agree with God. You agree with God that you're a sinner. You agree with God that you've broken his commands. You agree with God that no matter how hard you try, you can't make it right. But you also agree and receive the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfect sinless life and gave that life in exchange for yours. And you just pray along these lines in your heart. You say, God, I'm a sinner and I I can't fix it. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me. So right now, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to cleanse me of my sin. I ask you to give me that gift of eternal life. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I hand you the keys. Jesus, we thank you for meeting us here today. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.